into the conference finals and uh i think for the most part we are pretty correct in our original assessment <laughs> yeah we might be uh we might be two to three games total away from playing in the or for three to two games away two to three games away from being in the nba finals uh yeah. also which um you know it was kind of the finals we it would be the finals we all expected. Is these injuries, man? I don't know if you just saw it, or you probably did see it a few hours ago. But Trey Young now has a bone bruise in his foot yeah. after stepping on a ref, and I've been annoyed with the refs all playoffs, and now they're you know taking out NBA stars. And I have to say, now that uh, I mean, I've I've talked about my ebbs and flows as a Trey Young fan, but now that the Hawks are not in, not playing the Sixers anymore, uh. I'm having fun watching the Hawks again because I I enjoyed watching them in the first round and I yeah. I have been, and honestly like I've been impressed with Trey Young even though I thought the Sixers defended him well in the second round we kind of I thought we defended the, him the best um, he was still controlling the game and the pace and all that stuff and he was doing it again yeah. and I thought he was on pace to do it again last night um, I thought we were gonna get like a classic you know tied one one game three buck the favorites on the road trying to steal one back and um you know and then it ended up being the chris middleton show in the fourth quarter and trey young just there was some times where i was like okay he didn't look right and then there were times where he would bolt down the court and kick it out to an open shooter in the corner and somebody would brick it but um yeah. i'm still not 100 percent sold on trey i think I've, I've i'm giving him a lot more credit than i ever have before i think he's been playing fantastic i think there is the Nate McMillan stuff, like he has really turned it around the season from where he started the season and just kind of his mindset. But there are still times and periods in a game where it still does bleed through. Like, like Nate McMillan or Trey Young? No, the Trey Young, like obviously having Nate McMillan has changed his mindset and changed the way he's played mm-hmm. this season. Because obviously earlier in the season, there was a lot of one-on-one ISO stuff and there was a lot of like uh, that teammate standing in the corner kind of stuff. Um, and it, and it was a lot of like in my in my mind the way I viewed it was like Trey trying to prove himself kind of stuff, um, and he really got away from that and like he's been playing great and playing a lot of team ball and, and really kind of moving the ball and, and moving off doing doing kind of the running off screen stuff that we see from Steph like really really well, um, and like that to me that's like the best version of Trey Young is just him playing within an offense. I don't know if I like him as like a heliocentric option, but. Uh, I think the, to me, there's times where he does kind of force a little, and again, he's good enough where he's making a lot of these. I just don't think they're high quality shots, but again, like this is just me nitpicking. I think he's been playing fantastic. Um, Yeah. I think, uh, I think all my questions about Trey Young are done after this playoff run considering, you know, I I still need to see it more, but I think like, I think he's playing fantastic i think he's again playing great i think we need to cool it on the is he the best player out of that 2018 draft and you think we need to cool it i do think that trade looks a lot better though it does but i i we need to cool it (laughs) a little bit no Um, luke is still the best player but i mean the hawks have a i think it's 
I don't think it's any question anymore that the Hawks have their franchise point guard. Well, I yeah. mean, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Again, that, that was that wasn't a question to me. My thing is just like we need to stop with the knee jerk reactions of like is Trey Young now better than Luka Doncic? It's like no. Oh yeah. Well, that's just that's just Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, I have I have kind of grown tired. Well, I always grow tired of Twitter discourse. Uh, but uh, like with. Well, like with all junk food, 90% of it's shit. And then I go back to it because the 10% of Twitter is good. Um, but yeah, I don't think I remember Bill Simmons dubbed it the one. It was going to go down as one of the worst trades in NBA history. I certainly was a I was certainly was a Luca and DeAndre Ayton guy. I didn't even first of all, I was wrong about Trey Young right off the bat because I thought coming out of college, I thought. I didn't think he'd be a bust. I thought he would be a. I thought his ceiling would be, you know, good offensive player off the bench on the right team. Um, but oh, you saw him as Malik Monk, not Malik Monk, but like a supercharged like offensive guard. Because I thought his offensive skills were there. I just thought the defense was going to be an issue. I didn't think he was a good shoot, like a great shooter. Like yeah, he could pull up. He's still not a elite shooter like he has range right like yeah. he he's a vo- like you said he's a volume guy still and um i think that's the next step in his game is yeah. to consistency is the- consistency from three because remember like especially when you look at you know early damian lillard and with the you know shots he was taking like it took dame a bit before like he was always like a 37 percent three-point shooter right but like look the last two like the last two years he was 39 and he was 40 um but there are also a couple years where he shot 36 percent and that's because naturally if you're not Steph Curry like I and look I'm never gonna throw out the Steph Curry comparisons but if you're not like Steph Curry efficient as a deep shooter um I think you have to do other things and I think Trey's he's an elite passer um he is he has an elite floater game, an elite in between game, and I think where for me Trey Young's value, or not value, I guess, because he's already proven proven it. I think for me, what Trey Young is, he's performing when it matters most, and I know that sounds like a '90s Skip Bayless undisputed talking point, but I think a lot of it's true. Like in the playoffs, the games are harder, it, the games matter more. It's a more of a pressure cooker, and you need whatever tools you can in your bag to score. And I think Trey Young has that elite in-between game, and he can draw fouls. He might not be a great shooter, but um, I, think he's, I, think he's proved a, I think he's proved a lot. I also think DeAndre Ayton has proved a lot. So I think what we've yeah. come out to is that, yeah, Luke is going to be the best player out of this draft. And um, I know the knee-jerk reaction, Wolves are going to come after this podcast is the catch whiff of it of what we say, but it's actually turned out to be one of the best drafts in recent memory pretty yeah. quickly too. And Marvin Bagley has turned into the Sam Bowie of this draft very quickly. Ooh, ouch, ouch. I still think Marvin Bagley would do well somewhere else. That's not Sacramento just for the record, just having watched, just having watched um, a lot of Kings games yeah, some of it's on him, but I also think he's been injured. But there have been stretches more so this season where you could see the potential eighteen and ten like versatile 
scoring big because I think he has some. I think he has some stuff to his game, but I think there's he needs lot, to get out of Sacramento first. You're you're probably right. I see a lot of confidence issues. It, I think health's the main thing. He does look timid to shoot a lot at, at times, but you know that that's neither here or there. Yeah, like when Deer and Fox and Halliburton are kind of your future already, and you already have Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald taking away shots. Rashawn Holmes is actually a better player than Marvin Bagley too, like just in terms of fit and role and helping the team yeah. win. It, Bagley might need a need a fresh start before I fully am ready to hop off the Bagley the bag train, you know. The bag train. The bag train. But uh I have to ask you something. Is DeAndre Ayton has DeAndre Ayton been the Suns' best player all playoffs? Yes. He's been, no. He is not their best player. He I'm talking about most, just this play just this playoff been, run. He has been the most consistent. I will say that. I think he's been the best player in these play in the for on the Suns in this playoff run. I just think or you can argue importance. Or maybe some well, think, other category, but yeah, I I don't think best is the right. I think consistent and like he's been there, like uh, he's been their most consistent like ground like base option. Like he is the foundation upon which everything else works. I don't think he is the, I don't think he has been the best player. Cause I think that that flip offs between Booker. And and Chris Paul at times, like I think they're they've been flip flopping that role. Yeah, I think I think DeAndre Ayton is the most consistent force on that team right now, and he's been he's been sort of the glue that and the foundation that everything kind of builds upon. Because the thing is, like with Ayton, his threat his threat as a lob threat and his threat as a as a rim runner and roller has been opening up the mid range for everyone else, and and then that mid range opens up the three. And you're seeing like this inside out game, like this nineties inside out game that you normally don't see in the NBA today. And it's so refreshing to watch. But it, it works because he's so big, he's so athletic, he has good feel, he has solid hands. Like he's been he's been great. He's been he's been everything that I hoped he was coming out of college. Yeah. This um yeah. Um it's funny. Some a Suns fan I've uh, a, a Suns fan I follow. His name is a, a Sreaker. Um, his hash is a at is Sreaky Shooter. Um, and this was so true, like especially to start the season. But every other game, like DeAndre Ayton would have butter hands. Like he would just drop the ball, especially as he was trying to get chemistry with playing with a new backcourt that dominates the ball as much as CP and Devin Booker. But in these playoffs, like he's turned into Tony Gonzalez to quote uh, Sreaker. Like he has caught everything. And uh, the reason I bring up the question is because I really think without him, like the Suns don't get as far as they are right now because he's a, like you said, he's a lob threat. He is essential to their screen and roll game and allows Chris Paul and Devin Booker to get into the mid range. And when you play a smaller team, like the Clippers, whenever they decide to go small, and as we saw in uh, Game Five or Game Four on Saturday, I had the game on uh, on the side while me, you, and our, our couple of our buddies had the uh, Fighter C tournament going on. Um, Aiton had 22 rebounds, and I think he had nine offensive rebounds, and he was just he was controlling the game and not in the traditional way of like 
you know, like Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic will have the ball and they'll just command so much attention. Like he was just a force on both ends of the floor. And I think his commitment to, you know, being a rim running catch a mismatch in the post guy lob threat and then on the defensive end switch everything protect the rim it it the suns really don't have like a good big behind him like sarge is their best option at the five i just think okay. if, if let eight me, let me say and i know you like sarge because you're a sixers fan no sarge has sucked for like the last three months of the season <laughs> like i can I actually do like him when they run him next to Aiden. Yeah, but they haven't really done that that much, though, because I think they use him more exclusively as a backup five now because yeah. I, I just think because of, it's obvious the they're going the lineup, with heavy minutes with their starters. In the lineups when they run him with Aiden, I actually really like it. Yeah. It gives, it, it's like that, that it gives them that smart, big, like, Sarge is a smart player and a good passer for sure. He can interior pass. He can open lanes up for Aiden. Like he's good at finding the shooters. And so when people clamp down on Aiden, he's able to kick it out to the. Uh, I just like him next to Aiden because yeah. I think he he covers a lot of Aiden's flaws and holes really really well. There's a, there. I think game three, Sarge was good in his minutes. I think um, the actually the Clippers game that they lost uh, at home when uh, they went to L.A. Game three, I thought Sarge was good in his minutes too, but he's been. He's been turkey dog shit for like the last like I don't know I just made it up it just sounded good in my head uh he's been bad for like the last two months and like his flaws are really that like he's not particularly big like he's tough and he's slow and if he doesn't have his three-point shot going like it closes everything up that makes him good on offense like his passing and stuff um yeah but I don't know. The Suns have been – I've been really impressed with the Suns. And I know – I I have been seeing some, you know, salt and tears from Lakers Twitter. And I get it. Like, I have said if the if we redid this again, if there was like a simulation, the Lakers probably win. If there was 100 simulations, the Lakers win that first round series probably 85 times out of 100 if it's yeah. fully healthy. But, like, that's not the reality. Like, the Suns have been – the most complete team all playoffs they've been healthy and this playoffs is yes it's been a war of attrition like no other i think there's been an abnormal amount of injuries that you could try to contextualize when you look back 10 years from now how this playoffs will uh, play out but part of it's like in football like part of the deal is you have to be healthy and uh yeah it sucks like i wish joel Embiid was health didn't tear his have a small tear in his meniscus like I wish, um, I'm sure, uh, you know, the Nets, obviously, I mean, we both agree if the, even if the Nets had Kyrie Irving, I don't think the Bucks were going to win that series at no. all, or even no a fully healthy Nets squad, but you play the team that's in front of you. And these playoff games are still hard, by the way. And that, then that's that like, yeah, maybe quote unquote, the favorite didn't win or whatever, but I could also say like. Okay, if Chris Paul didn't, you know, hurt his shoulder and shot the ball like a bowling ball the whole first round, the Suns might have had a better ch- Like, we could play this injury game. So basically what yeah. I'm saying is the 
the right teams are supposed to be there. And yeah, it sucks injuries play, played a role, a huge role in these playoffs, but the Suns have been really damn impressive. Like this is some really high quality basketball I'm watching from yeah. uh from the Phoenix Suns. I'm impressed. Yeah. I called this shit at the beginning of the season. Yeah, we were I feel like we were a Suns centric podcast for a while because I I didn't take him to go to the Western Conference Finals like you did because I'm a coward, but um, I liked... Dude, I believe. I was so ready. I loved I loved the team. I'm a big Booker guy. I'm a big... I'm, I was I was a big Aiton guy up until he got suspended last year, and he was still good, but I was just recalculating, recalibrating what I thought his ceiling would be. Um, you know, I have a best friend who's a Suns fan who also listens to this podcast, and I talk to him, you know, uh, about the Suns a lot. And uh, it's funny. We actually joked back in 2016. We would joke like, you know, what if, you know, I can't wait for that Sun Sixers finals in 2022. And the fact that <laughs> the fact that it was almost a possibility is actually kind of funny. But um, I've been impressed with the Suns and, you know, putting Chris Paul on this team was the cherry on top. And I think Aiton has been without Aiton. I don't think the Suns are nearly as far as they are right now. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> I'm in full agreement. I'm uh I'm still I'm picking the Suns to win this thing. So oh, you to win it all? Yeah, me too. Yeah. They're the fate. Yeah, I mean, I I said I was uh, telling my friend act- actually yesterday that if the Hawks were to somehow pull this series off, I'd go Suns in five, because you know he brought up the whole you know I can't believe Trey Young is you know getting away with this much on not not being attacked on defense and I was like yeah me too but at the same time like you don't as a team I feel like you don't want to lose your offensive identity and your flow just attacking one person every time but I think weirdly enough the Suns are the best equipped to do that type of thing I mean you saw what they did to the nuggets with michael porter jr like chris paul is like the most smart one of the smartest players ever he's gonna hunt some he's gonna hunt people down but i feel like the suns strike that balance of hunting people down but keeping the flow of their offense and i would i would have said suns in five but with the if it was the bucks i would say suns in six um because i think the bucks have figured out some stuff too i just think the suns have been playing the best basketball yeah i think i think the suns are by far the best team yeah, um, I mean, I'd be shocked if they lost this game tonight. I mean, Paul George is gassed um, from having to carry more of a load. Paul George has played fantastic um, throughout the playoffs. He's obviously, obviously there's some moments here and there that that you know playoff P rears his ugly head. Um, but the last two games, you could tell. Yeah, he's gassed. I, I do want to say. Paul George still rubs me the wrong way just because of the lack of accountability that he seems to always have. And I know we brought it up like one of our first episodes of this podcast. Like I remember we brought it up of like the man just never takes responsibility for anything. Yeah. And I really don't. I, as a leader, as a, as your team's leader, I don't know how I feel about that. And I know, I know the players don't like it. No, I know how um, you feel about it. You let it, you, you let it sleep, it seep into your player evaluation of Paul George. I felt a little bit. I might have, yeah, but I mean, like you know, he's he's playing really well, and it's just a thing of like, dude, when you make a mistake, like call it out, like, yeah, I fucked up, like Aiden, Aiden talks every every player, every top player, and I've never heard a player really kind of deflect in the way that he does as often as he does. 
and it's con- it's it's a he's little, had some bad little... comments i will i will even as a, a paul george weird. stan i will admit he has had some dumb comments like the whole i don't care what anybody says that's a bad shot and stuff like that and it's like yeah but that's that's damian willard like yeah that's not a bad shot for him i guess it might be a bad shot for everybody else but that's a bad shot and then you know the whole uh well actually it turns out he might it, it i i think the doc rivers comments you know before the season started i thought they were a little i i looked at him funny for them but like but like i kind of get where he was coming from and now that the season's over or not the sixer season is over and the Ty has been you know pushing all the right buttons and all that stuff and getting the most out of the clippers regular season i kind of get where he was coming from with the doc rivers stuff I do, but not I. I could get like, yeah, Doc Rivers and him didn't mesh, or like he didn't believe in Doc Rivers' system, whatever. But the but things like he was complaining that... about with Doc Rivers was wrong. Like he was yeah, using well, screen and roll so often last year, and yeah. he was complaining about that. Like he was like, Doc had me coming off pin downs and stuff, and Kevin O'Connor was like, No, dude, look at the synergy stats. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you, you're not coming off pin downs. Like, like you're running pick and roll more than ever in your career and stuff. So yeah, he does have some deflection issues, but I think for the most, I think he just says, I think it's, I mean, it's not good and I'm not making an excuse for it, but I think he says that because I do think he has self accountability and I think that's what matters to me. Cause like he has also backed up his comments with, you know, I need to get better. I'm working over the summer. And I think last playoffs, I think last playoffs were kind of unfair to him because he was coming up. Well, the last two playoffs, cause I, it, you can't, you can't. I don't care if you're on the court. I don't care about the motto if you're healthy or if you're on the court, you're healthy. You cannot play with shoulders that are broken and then recovering from double shoulder surgery. That's just that's hard. Sure. Like, but well, I get it. But again, like it it to me, it's just the comments of like you know there was I can't pull I can't think of them off the top of my head, but he had some comments after these last two losses too. Or it's just like, dude, just come on. Just be like, that's on me, or this is on me, or, you know, whatever it is, or, you know, we got to play better, or whatever. Like, the... Okay, they they came back in the Nuggets series, but the whole Clippers mantra of, like, we're still in the driver's seat after going down 0-2, the lack of urgency was, like, concerning to me. Oh, you mean the Maverick that. series? Yeah. You know, yeah. stuff like that was, like... I, like, to me, that rubs me the wrong way. Like, it's just a lack of urgency, and it feels like you just don't take responsibility for, like what's happening on the floor i just i guess it just comes down to how me and you feel about these comments because i i think some of them aren't a big deal i just think paul george is caught in the meme portal now where if you get where if you're caught in the meme portal no matter what you say no i think i think again i think a lot of things that he gets are unfair like the free throws while hilarious He did hit one of the most clutch mid-range shots of the game well back to back because him and booker were exchanging back uh baskets Right before, like in game two, you mean, right? Yeah, like yo, you gotta hit the free throws, but like yo, he was hitting some clutch mid-range jumpers. Yeah, Paul George hit a Paul George hit the mid-range jumper to go up one. Then I think it was Devin Booker who made a layup for the Suns to go up one, and then Paul George hit another mid-range jumper from the uh, left elbow before the uh, dreaded the faded free free throws. throws. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) the faded free throws. For for me, it's just a thing of like you just. I, I need to see a little more responsibility and leadership from him. And, like, the thing is, with all the comments that came out of the Clippers locker room last year, which I, I 100% believe, like, come, like now knowing now what we know about 
all the players and like what they've said afterwards and like how that well, whole locker room situation yeah. out. Like, also knowing what players think about Doc too. Yeah. So like I know a lot of I know a lot of what came out of I I know some people were like oh it's probably false or it's a leak or whatever but like probably a lot of the stuff that was coming out of the locker room is true. And yeah, like, probably. People, people, people shaking their head at Paul George. Like, yeah, to me that shows a lot of distrust in the locker room. And I don't know if you can win a championship with a team that doesn't trust in their second best player. Yeah, I think a lot of those. You, I think the suspects for those comment leaks are gone now, though, because I definitely yeah. Montrez Harrell said some shit. Lou Williams definitely oh, yeah. said some shit. Um, who else on that team? Uh, I think they. The guys who <laughs> didn't get who saw their playing time dwindle in the playoffs in the bubble were the usual suspects that said that. Um, but I think this summer is going to be interesting for Kawhi now. I wish Kawhi was healthy for this series because I do think the Clippers were the Suns' worst matchup just because, yeah, you if you have two elite wings and then everybody else playing their roles, like Reggie Jackson's playing out of his mind he's gonna get a bag this summer um Lou Kennard has been revived from the grave of bad contracts Ty Lou, I I remember it was uh it was game three in the first round against the Mavericks and Ty Lou put in Lou Kennard in the second quarter and I was like oh shit like he hasn't played for like a month and a half and he hasn't played <laughs> at all in the series like what is going on and, you know, Kennard didn't have a good shooting game. Like, he was actually kind of, you know, not bad, but he was, like, below average in his minutes. And then the rest of the series, since from that game on, like, Luke Kennard has been lights out <laughs> whenever he's had his number called. It's it's crazy. Like, he's coming off of pin down, shooting shooting with confidence, letting it fly. Um, it, Ty Lue has been – Ty Lue has been great. And I think if you're Kawhi Leonard um, – I don't know what this knee injury is. They, the athletic reported. I know Shams reported that it was an ACL injury, a possible ACL injury, though they didn't specify it was a terror sprain. The Clippers themselves just aren't saying anything, so I don't even know what's going on with Kawhi. But if it is a knee issue, and if you're Kawhi, you're what 28, 29 years old. Like I think it would behoove. I think it's more likely he stays in LA now, especially now that the Clippers have finally broken their western their conference finals curse um i just would have loved to see this team fully healthy uh playing against yeah. the suns team it would have been a really fun series i honestly i thought it would have been a toss-up um between these two teams because i think when Ty Lu has all those pieces at his disposal, he would have gotten mad scientist in the lab. Um, then you got the Suns, who are also well coached by Monty Williams. By the way, the previous two seasons, the Sixers had Monty Williams and Ime Udoka in the fucking building, and we let them walk away, <laughs> and we ended up with Doc Rivers. So I'm still kind of salty about that. Um, but that's that that series would have been really fun because look, Game Four was a it was straight up a rock fight. Like it was some Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble throwing rocks at each other in their front yards type of type of game, and it was still good. All these games have been good um, in this series, and I just wonder what it would have been like if Kawhi was there. Is all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, so I can't wait to do. I can't wait to retier my players because Trey Young and Aiton are definitely uh, taking this leap. 
and not to bring up my friend again, but he was he was uh he got drunk after the uh, Suns victory on Saturday night. I'm pretty sure he was <laughs> drunk. I, it, 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 he texted me and he was like, because he he has a friend who's a Laker fan who's a who's a hater. Um, and I and I know who he's talking about. I've known him forever myself. Um, and he was basically talking trash about the Suns and stuff. And so I he got I got a text from him at like one in the morning, and he was like. Would you take Aiton over Gobert? And I was like, this version of Aiton, absolutely, I would. Like, if yeah. Aiton keeps playing like this, there's no question. Like, Rudy Gobert might be the better rim protector or whatever, but I will take Aiton on the perimeter defensively. Yeah, he might not be, you know, an elite shot blocker like Embiid or Gobert, but he's good. Like, he's really good. And also, he punishes the little dudes on the offensive end. Like Charles Barkley and Shaq are probably loving the fuck out of the out of that series, watching Aiton. Like every time the Suns have been on TNT, Shaq and Charles Barkley, or Shaq at least, when he does that little film session at halftime, that really just he doesn't really explain anything. He just says, "Look, catch the ball, turn around, boom, dunk, dominate." Like he really doesn't <laughs> explain how the play works or whatever. Like Shaq has Aiton in his film every time at halftime when the Suns play because he's been he's been awesome. So I can't wait to re-tier these players. Yeah, next I'm year. very excited to see kind of how this all shakes out. So speaking of which, that does lead us into a little side topic because I think I think these series are kind of going the way we're going to go uh, or the way we talked about last week. Wait, we're, I, well, I I feel like we should talk about uh, Hawks Bucks a little bit more. Well, I guess. We kind of, you you do you think Milwaukee? Do you think there's a chance that the Hawks win Game Four? No, no, yeah, no. I, I don't think so either. <laughs> I think the Trey, no. I don't think the Trey, the Trey injury really puts a monkey wrench in things. Because yeah. I'm telling you, I was impressed by. I figured the Hawks might have a chance to win Game One just to, like as a feel out series, and Mike Budenholzer likes to. Uh, apparently, he just likes to you know, give up 12 to 15 point leads to start the game so he can make it harder on himself. Um, but I was still impressed with how Trey showed out. The dude was throwing, the, and this is why I am all, like, more all, all in than I was on Trey Young. The confidence to not be scared in a conference finals, this motherfucker was throwing off the backboard passes to John Collins and then shimmying before the shot yeah. goes in in an Eastern Conference Finals game, your first Conference Finals game, by the way, like that. So I have a, I have a, I have a different question for you. So okay, we talked earlier about how the Trailblazers are constantly after they hit the Conference Finals at one time, they're now constantly the low seed that everyone says is dangerous and should be watched out for, and like the dark horse, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone says that about the Blazers and Dame Lillard. And that look. Oh, I think I know where this Dame, is going. As long as they have Dame, he's taken him to a conference final before. Like they're still dangerous. Are the Hawks now the Eastern Conference Trailblazers? Where you think, oh, they can make a run. No. And then every year they kind of come up short. The reason I say no is because the Hawks actually know I how think to. It's a fair question. I, I don't think it's a fair question because this is the Hawks' first playoff run, and also. Yeah. Also, well, remember, remember at the time when the Trailblazers made it, it was only like Dame's like third year, fourth year, something like that. Yeah, but he also didn't get this deep. But also, I say no because I really do think. No, that was the year that they made it to the conference finals. Wait, Dame's third year? 
It was it was really early. Dame's only made it to one conference finals, and that yeah. was uh, against the Denver Nuggets. What year was this? That was twenty. That was 2018-2019. Yes. Dame's third year, that was the year. No, Dame made the playoffs. He's made I pretty he's made okay, the playoffs so every year of his career. I'm pr- I am pretty positive. Okay, so he was so okay, it was later. No. He the his sec, Dame's second year they made the playoffs and uh that's when he had the series ending shot and all that stuff. But the yeah, but the, the other reason why I say no is because it's not like the Blazers failed building an elite team around Lillard. I just thought they made some real bad fuck-ups with player personnel to surround Dame with. The Hawks, I have loved all the Hawks' moves in terms of drafting and building and stuff like that. The problem was... Are you on the Cam Reddish hype train with me? Let's go. I was... I mean, I was a Cam Reddish fan. I wasn't, like, a bullish fan. Like, remember when everyone was saying Cam Reddish had that T-Mac scoring potential and stuff I especially going in, going into duke like that was the I always thing he was, i always thought he was his his ceiling was like a really good third option like a richard jefferson yeah but and unfortunately the injury kind of messed things up too yeah. uh for him this year but uh if you just look back at the hawks the last two years at least the hawks drafts their free agent signings like i liked all of their stuff to build around Trey. Cause it was apparent in Trey's first year. Like he was going to be way more than what I thought he was going to be. So it was like, okay, how do you build around it? Well, you draft Cam Reddish, you draft Deandre Hunter. I mean, you signed Bogdan Bogdanovich, you signed like, look at all the signings they made. It was all to maximize Trey while also hide his weaknesses. And dude, just imagine, th- think about this. The Hawks are doing this run right now without DeAndre Hunter, who evolved into a three-level scorer this year before he got hurt. He took a really big leap this year in his second year. And I really, th- even though he was not healthy in the Knicks series, I thought he had some three-level scoring shots that would help the Hawks. Um, Cam Reddish didn't play for a lot of the year because of that Achilles uh, soreness. Um, Chris Dunn didn't play. I'm still on Chris Dunn Island. Don't judge me. I still think <laughs> I still like Chris Dunn. <laughs> I still like Chris Dunn a lot, especially as a defender. Um, and then you get traded for Clint Capella, which was a move I liked last year. Like I thought, I think Clint Capella is underrated and he was a defensive player of the year candidate possibly this year. I just think the Hawks have done a better job of building around their best players and maybe they might hit, they might hit on some guys, where their ceiling might be higher than expected, like DeAndre Hunter. And then Cam yeah. Reddish could fall into that third option, fourth role. Because Cam Reddish is a pretty good defender, even though his offense is still leaves a, a lot to be boy, desired. Man. He's a long boy. Yep, yep, exactly. And they have a lot of long boys on that team. I just think the Hawks are better equipped to have better playoff runs than the Blazers, as opposed to oh, look, we have this really small backcourt that could score a lot. Let's just hope we get on fire and uh, take advantage of an inexperienced Nuggets team in Game 7 in the second round on the road and get to the conference finals type thing. So I would no, – I, I think you're right. I, I have more faith in this Hawks team, but I do think there is something to be said for the amount of injuries going on and how the season has gone where they're just – the healthiest team remaining. Oh yeah, I still. I. I mean, the Sixers blew that series. Like, yeah. Like, so like again, to me, to me, there's a threat of like expectation here, where people go, "Oh, this team has now taken the leap." 
Or yeah, where people think all... progression is linear, and uh, right. they'll just they'll expect the Hawks to be in the finals next year, and then if they don't make it the next year after that, they're a bust. Goes. I know how I know how this goes. This is how it goes with draft prospects too. Like, yeah. if you don't, if you, if the good rookie doesn't, you know, quite exactly meet the sometimes absurd expectations of a leap in a second year, then it's like, oh, what? Then we start having questions about the guy. Like, a team's progression and or a draft prospect's progression in terms of development, they're not linear. Like, there, this this Hawks team is going to go through ebbs and flows. Like, as this team grows but i think they are built for the long haul by the way i forgot to mention um oneko kongwu when he has I gotten minutes him. in these playoffs he has been a stud like yeah, yesterday he was a stud there were a few games in the Sixers series especially in games uh four the basically from games four and on when he got minutes he was so impactful on the defensive end and was a lob threat like he I I've I've been impressed in the limited minutes he's gotten too. Like the Hawks are building some stuff there. Like I I have a lot more faith in that front office too because they probably won't throw people under the bus like a certain Blazers GM. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, like throw so people gonna... under the bus, run them over, back it up, and then do it again. <laughs> well, I was gonna bring up. We'll we'll we're, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but I guess we can go here first. Uh, Chauncey and Jason, what do you, how do you feel about these two new coaches? How do you feel about, uh, us reliving nineties, early 2000 point guard in, uh, coaching roles? Uh, one, I, I don't like both hires because I don't think, um, I think, I think hiring players like that who still have the old school mentality of stuff. Uh, isn't good for the new NBA. I just don't think they'll be good at their jobs. Jason Kidd has been fucking awful at his job, and he still is still getting coaching opportunities. And look, I get it. Players respect him and stuff like like that. I like him as an assistant because he's not doing X's and O's, and he's more of a personality. Like a locker room guy. Yeah, and also there's all the very fair and very um, the all the very fair criticisms of you know, like Chauncey Billups settled a sexual assault allegation sure. back in yeah. the late '90s, and Jason Kidd, you know, hit his has domestic violence issues with his wife in the past. Like these, not only so, not only are they especially in Jason Kidd's case, not only are they abusers, but they get to, he gets to, he gets another job through that one he's terrible at. Like, yeah, I mean, it's already in a male dominated industry and, um, you know, you're going to get second chances regardless of your past. And like, that's kind of been baked into society, unfortunately. But, um, that's only if you're like, that's usually with people that are good at their jobs. Like Jason Kidd tanked Giannis's development was awful with Milwaukee, was low-key really awful with the Brooklyn Nets, but because they had the corpse of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce um, and Joe Johnson, like that weird Nets team that I somehow thought was an Eastern Conference Finals contender. Um, yes, I was one of those people that got fooled. Um, <laughs> he was he was bad. I don't know how Chauncey will be as a coach, but based on his analysis, I've seen him on TV seen him talk yeah. about the game and stuff like that i just it's like the mark jackson thing like 
you could just hear it <laughs> in the way they talk about basketball that they just I I just I don't think they're going to be good coaches. It's very old school. It's yeah. very much I mean, I'm curious cuz obviously the Steve Nash thing has worked out. That's been that's been fine. I think mm. that people are now starting to go down this like point guard rabbit hole. Like you've heard that uh, Penny Hardaway is is in talks for yeah. the uh, for interviewed for the Magic head, head coaching position. So, you know, I I'm just curious what who who's the next 90s to early 2000s point guard that's up up next. Mm. Um, um I want to I I'm am interested in Penny Hardaway because you know, it's obviously a case by case basis. Like with Steve Nash, yeah, I was um, like I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Like I didn't think he was going to be bad or anything. Like he obviously he has a great mind for the game. When I hear him talk about the game, he I mean, clearly he knows what he's talking about. He knows way, 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 way more basketball than us two dopes on a podcast. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like, like I, like there was, I was like, okay, maybe Steve Nash will be a good coach because obviously the players respect him. So he has the management side of the coaching down, but he just might be a really good X's and O's guy. And he's also the re and the moment I could tell he was going to be good at his job is that he's not walking into the job being like, okay, this is my first job. I'm going to do things my way and see if it works. Like, no, he's, he took on Mike D'Antoni. Like, he he has, like, a really deep staff that helps yeah. him out. And I think that is very progressive in a way for a coach. And I'm all about progression with evolution as the league goes on. Like, yeah, Luca and Jason Kidd might see eye to eye in terms of, like, what they would see out there on the court and stuff. But what about the other guys? What about the yeah. other guys' development? It's not just about your star. Like, it's not just your star, right? And it, and unfortunately, the, that's the balancing act. You have to accommodate your star player, too. Um, yeah. Who, who, you know, had, you know, some beef with Rick Carlisle and stuff. And, uh, by the way, I just want to thank Bob Volgaris again for Seth Curry um in, in exchange for josh richardson you you guys you guys have fun trying to extend him because you know you don't want to lose that on the asset <laughs> man so all right well well that leads well, we got to talk about the dave stuff yeah okay so let's talk about the Dave stuff what what do you think <laughs> what do i think well you know where my mind goes first <laughs> Like, how could the Sixers get this guy? Yes. <laughs> because it becomes a little bit different. Like, yeah, Simmons' value, trade value took a... I think Simmons' trade value took a tank in the sense that there's not the allure or the allure of him unlocking his superstar potential is no longer that strong, right? But I still think there's value there. So it was like, okay, maybe we could you know, package a trade together for CJ McCollum or whatever and stuff. The calculus becomes a little bit different when you hear inklings that Dame Lillard is has a growing rift with ownership. And by the way, to the people, because I saw a few people that I follow, um, you know, try to basically say, unless Dame says it himself, I'm not believing it. First of all, no player is ever going to fucking do that ever yeah like history has shown that no player is ever going to do that ever the only one that did was jimmy butler and uh he got fined for it yeah technically not allowed to do that so. or anthony davis too yeah anthony davis like anthony and davis they also got fined for that so you know it's so it's like to do that yeah and also the person who reported this chris haynes is literally tight with damian lillard 
So I don't yeah. think Chris Haynes is just going to throw shit at the wall. Chris Haynes is just a good reporter, period. But I don't think Chris Haynes is just going to throw shit at the wall about Damian Lillard without talking to people at least close to his camp. Because this dude and Dame, they know each other. They're good friends. Like, it's it, it's clear that the wheels are set in motion. Because think about it, Chris. Of all the superstars that have moved over the last five years, the process is pretty similar, isn't it? It starts with you hear inklings that a player wants to leave. And then it's like, yep. no, 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 no. We're trying to keep him. You know, we're pretty confident we'll keep him in, heading into the offseason. And then you start hearing more reports. And then players start finding ways to look for excuses to justify wanting to push the, push themselves out. It is the same stuff we are seeing. The only exception is Giannis. But we all kind of knew that based on Giannis's mental makeup and all that, he has the mental makeup kind of of an old school player in terms of like loyalty and stuff like that with a little mix of new school, obviously, but like a lot of people had already said, like if this was, if there was one superstar to stick with their team and take the supermax extension before heading into free agency that following summer, it would be Giannis. And guess what? That happened all the other times. It has ended up with the superstar in some way or form leaving, whether it's trade, whether it's free agency, whether it's free agency through sign and trade, like the wheels are turning on this. Like the toothpaste is kind of coming out of the tube already. <laughs> the toothpaste coming out of the tube. As a Zach Lowism, shout out Zach Lowe. <laughs> but I think it, it it's that. pretty clear that they're heading this direction. Yeah. Like, and you know, obviously there are a few teams that should be in contention, or well, every team should be calling for Dame Lillard, but. I assume with Dame Lillard's 31, or he's going to be 31 uh, next month. So I would have to think his priorities are at this point, okay, I have four years left on my huge contract extension. I want to win. We have been stalling out. CJ McCollum disappeared in these past playoffs, or struggled, I should say. Where, where can I go to win? So I don't think the Knicks are in contention sorry Knicks fans um the teams I could think of you know Boston and Philly and you know there's probably a few other teams in there Golden State, Golden State too yeah Golden State will always be Golden looming State to me, Golden State to me is a thing where oh god that would be ridiculous go home, <laughs> you go home they have all the assets you would need to trade mm-hmm. for him there's to start know, a like, rebuild yep yeah like you know you trade Wiseman Wiggins and both picks easy it's done yeah, um, you know, I think the the thing about them is like, dude, how do you stop them? Holy shit! Um, yeah, <laughs> the the thing with me, I think there's there's a lot of talk going on about what Dame's move would be here, and I think there is a lot of truth to this when you say, okay, he has three years left on his deal. He had there's a lot of time. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that's willing that wants to stay in Portland. I think that's yeah. important to him, and I think that he's he's close enough with Chauncey that he'll want to stay at least, give him a chance. Mm-hmm. So I think that like that's worth exploring at least for a year for to Dame. Like I could see him staying for a year, saying okay, let's give it a shot, and then next year if it doesn't work out, next 
okay, I want out of here. Because then that's the same kind of timeline that Harden used with his contract. Yeah. Their contracts would be almost identical from when Harden asked for a trade. So it's a little bit easier leverage there. Yep. Um, and, and some precedent is set to make that easier of a, of a trade. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I, I don't see this la- lasting long term here. And I think if he does move, I think I agree with you that he wants to go to contender. The only teams that make sense obviously are Golden State. I think Boston might be. Um, if Boston is willing to give up Jalen Brown, which yeah. a lot of Celtics fans are clutching their pearls for, and you know what, Jalen Brown's a good player, but I come, it's he's not Dame. It's not. It's he's Dame. Like, yeah. I get so, wanting. I get the sports sentimentalism here. Um, yes. wanting to root for two young wing players for the next decade and stuff. Yeah. But I would think you would want Damian Lillard. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the only the only thing like I and I, I think would, Philly I would, too, by the way. Yeah, not just because I'm a Sixer yeah. fan. No, but. I think I think Philly. I think that uh, obviously I'm biased, but you can't count out the Lakers to make some kind of crazy magic happen. Yeah, like I know they, Lakers Twitter had those those Photoshop yeah. jerseys fired up. They're ready. ready. To go. But you know, <laughs> again, like you just can't count them out. And no, um, and you know the way that the way that Polanka has really done a great job. I, I think I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done so far with the Lakers and returned them around. Think about what their roster looked like a year before he took over, and how quickly he turned that around. Just getting rid of contracts and getting rid of bad contracts and deals and, and all kinds of stuff. But that's besides the point. So that gets to the next point. Team USA, where super teams are built. Yeah, where the, where the recruiting um, happens. So uh, we have a very interesting mix and roster here. I don't know if you've seen the full list here. Yeah, I um, I saw I saw the full. I'm gonna so for to anyone that doesn't right so for anyone that hasn't, uh, I'm gonna read it off real quick. We have Bam out of bio. We have Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Jeremy Grant, Draymond Green, uh, Drew Holiday, Zach Levine, Damian Lillard, Kevin Love, uh, Chris Middleton, and Jason Tatum. I have a question. Did you read that list off Mark Stein's tweet? I did not. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I have Mark Stein's tweet up right now, and that's and that's the order. <laughs> that's the exact order no, you read them. Uh, in. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading it off the Team USA website. That's not. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah the the interesting thing here, I think, with this roster, I like it. I think yeah. it's a I think it's a perfect international roster given how it's played now. The criticism I've always had with international rosters or Team USA rosters is the lack of size. But I mean. When you have that doesn't matter. <laughs> with yeah, it, it doesn't matter internationally. I think the only time it would it would have mattered, and the only time it really did matter, was when we played Spain in their prime. But the Casal brothers are old at this point. It doesn't matter. You're talking about the uh, 2008 gold medal game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know the lack of size. Where our only two bigs were Dwight and Chris Bosh. Uh, Chris Bosh. Oh, and Tyson Chandler's on the team too. Um, no, that was uh oh was it no was he on the 2008 team? I'm pretty sure that was 2012. Oh, he might have been on 2012. It was a, I'm pretty sure that was a yeah, 2012 yeah, yeah. team. And that was Anthony Davis here, too. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, as much shit as, as they're going to get for Kevin Love being on the roster, he is the perfect international big. Mm. He is the perfect floor spacer for international play. I thought Julius Randle should have made it over him, but I get, I guess I get the Kevin Love. He, Kevin Love just hasn't played basketball in two years. No, like, yeah, I, I don't see him playing a ton of minutes. But as someone that has been a part of Team USA before and has, you know, a lot of international experience, I think he's fine. And again, as a spot up big, as a stretch big, I think he's fine. 
Yeah, we oh, know what this is. He's going to – how could Kevin Love not see Blake Griffin, Nick Batum, P.J. Tucker, and whoever other 32-year-old vets are in the playoffs right now and think, you know, I, I'm still, I still got it. Like, I've just been in purgatory in Cleveland for two years throwing temper tantrums on the court whenever Sexton or Garland fuck up. But um, I still have a lot left in the tank because he does provide – he still has his rebounding. He's still a good passer, and he could shoot, which are definitely valuable skills. So I think this is a I'm going to rehab my image and hope to get traded out of Cleveland yeah. soon type of thing. Because this contract is kind of uh, an albatross. Yeah, I'm just trying to be nice about it and say egregious. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of an albatross of a contract. But Kevin Love has value, could have value to a team, you know? Especially because yeah. everybody thought Blake was washed, but really he just, um, you know, yeeted everybody, finessed everybody. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, oh my God. Like, yeah, he makes, he makes 31 million next year. And then he makes 29, 28.9 million in the 2022, 23 season before he becomes yeah, an unrestricted uh, free agent. So it's, I think he's trying to rehabilitate his uh, trade value there. Um, sure. And as he should, I, this is a good opportunity for him to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I like this team. I think there is a little bit of a concern with just a lot of, we got a lot of one-on-one guys here. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I think our strength as Team USA has always been that we have strong one-on-one guys that play together. The definitely, like, I could see some, uh, like how Miami and you know Philly and a few other teams, like the dribble handoff has become such a yeah. staple in today's NBA. They have the bigs and the passing bigs for sure to connect yeah. everything together, I feel. Um, with Bam, with Draymond, with um, Kevin Love. So, yeah, the guards are definitely not – I wouldn't say lacking in the playmaking department. They just don't have a table setter, you know? Yeah, like, the, like there's the, no like, – the, the And I think that's like, where the bigs come in. Yeah. So again, it's an interesting mix. I think, you know, I think this is going to be a concern of just getting them to, they're not going to have a lot of time to practice. Oh yeah. No, Um, it's going to start right after the playoffs. Oh yeah. I, you know, this is, that's a little bit of concern to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, overall, I think this is a great roster. I'm excited to see them play. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of ridiculous that the talent is this deep because there's no LeBron. There's no step. There's no Harden. Like, there's kind of just like there's still top end talent that's missing from this list, but then I look at this team and I'm like, you know, this is a pretty good squad. We could win the gold medal still. Like, there's a good, there's I mean, I a looking, high probability we'll win the gold medal still. You yeah, know? I was I was looking at the other rosters, uh, the other international rosters, and there's really no other threat here. I don't see any other threat internationally. Uh, the old Spain's getting a little long in the tooth, and they're you know all of their big guys are kind of old mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and then, you know, we have Australia, who has a lot of holes. And, and Ben uh, Simmons Canada. just said he wasn't playing in the Olympics either. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I think that this should be a pretty slam dunk mm. easy victory. But again, you, you, know, you never know what's going to happen. This A similar roster had lost earlier with a lot of young guys. Uh, we lost in the in the, uh, at the World Championships. Or yeah. The, the Championships or whatever. So, you know, who knows? Uh, but I think this should be pretty easy. Those championship teams didn't have Kevin Durant. So, you know, I think that's <laughs> Yeah, that's already... the other thing, too. Kevin Durant's arguably the best player in the world right now. Well, Kevin Durant is also the perfect international zone buster. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, like, 
when you talk about when you talk about how the international game is all based around a zone mm. and how you need you need uh, shooters with length and size. Like, Kevin Durant you know, in general is just a game buster. Yeah, but when you talk about international play and like yeah. you know, what that means, like it, Kevin Durant is the is the guy. Yeah, that's kind uh, but of I won't I, I won't was... let you besmirch uh, Olympic Mellow though. Olympic, I was just gonna bring this up. So my I always said this, and you'll you'll agree with me too. If Carmelo Anthony was was Olympic Carmelo through his whole career, I think he has a better career. There'd be spots where he'd be more effective, but Melo was a top five to seven player for a long time. Oh, I I definitely think yeah. yeah I, 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 this isn't a dig on Melo. I know. At all. I know. This is a, this is my thing of like, bro, when you have a a non ISO centric Carmelo, someone that's playing off ball going off screens and playing i i thought a lot of carmelo's strengths were off ball and like the weight how fast he gets his shot off and how efficient he is as a off ball scorer i thought was more uh, more important than his isolation scoring Mm -hmm. and so like to me if he just played if he had that more often if he had more guys to set the table and help him out more in his he would have had a yeah way i remember career. when the nuggets traded speaking to chauncey billups i remember when the nuggets traded for chauncey billups and i was like this team's going to the western conference finals yeah immediate immediate i think it happened and then traded for alan iverson yeah they tra- <laughs> yeah i because i was uh, obviously i watched oh i watched nuggets games to f- after especially more after iverson got traded there but it was pretty clear that the Nuggets didn't have as much as I love the Iverson and that scoring duo was ridiculous. They just didn't have a defensive minded table setting point guard like Chauncey. It's I, it was my junior year of high school. And when the trade happened, I was just like, Oh shit. Like with Nene, yeah. with Kenyon Martin, with Nello, young J.R. Smith, Chauncey Billups. I think Anthony Carter was still coming off the bench. Like I really loved that Nuggets team. That 2009 Nuggets team. team. It was one of my favorite team. It, it was a really good, like, Melo just never had that, he never had that type of point guard for most of his career. And you're probably right, it would have, he probably would have had a greater career than we think of him now. Because I think he's a, no doubt, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's one oh, of yeah. the best That's scorers ever. Um, but think, but if he had, was, if he had some better fitting players, I think you're right. Like, he would have probably had a more efficient and better career um than what we remember i just think the last five years of mellow have been so weird for his career that i think we kind of a lot of people forget just how good he was like that Mel- somebody was talking about it the other day on twitter but like that mellow nuggets jersey with the the white teal and the yellow stripes around the jersey like that's a classic yeah. that's some, for some reason that became a classic nba jersey i saw a lot of people in bakersfield wa- rocking that denver nuggets mellow jersey like the dude is a legend but he didn't just didn't have a chauncey billups type player for the re- for the entirety of his career to kind of you know play by his side yeah and again when you go back and you watch old mellow highlights it's a lot of iso yeah. And then when you watch him play off ball, like what he's doing now with Portland, you're you watch him and you go, Oh shit, this, he's still really strong. He's still really good at this. And you're like, dude, he could do this his whole career. He could have been this his whole career. Yeah. He really didn't start shooting threes also or, or become a good three point shooter until that two thousand and nine season. Yeah. 
Like I, I remember early in his career where it was mainly he was operating at the elbow and stuff like that. And um, you know, we saw the potential for the jump shot from three point range, but he was like a twenty percent three point shooter um, for the first like I think four years of his career, and then it just took off after that. He became a good three point, a you know, thirty seven percent three point shooter. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. He would if he had if certain players. And that's always the not the rub with these kind of players, but like those type of players, you have you do kind of have to fit the roster in a particular way. But it it can be done, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I think it does come down to respect thing too. Like, obviously with Team USA, he has LeBron, he has Kobe, he has mm-hmm. you know his kid and all this stuff. Like, there's a level of respect of like, oh, I understand my role here is to shoot the ball and score anything else, mm-hmm. right? And like it. It shrinks what you need to worry about, right, on the floor. Yep. And, like, I just think when he's in his bag scoring, when all he needs to worry about is getting into position to shoot, I think he's so good. Yeah. When but he... when he's great for himself and, like, and do all this stuff and trying to, you know, open up space on the floor, like, then it, I think I think he – not that he's not good at it, but I think that it it it, it, it kind of undermines what, he, what his true talents are. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and again, this is nothing against Melo because I, I I think Melo is super talented. It's just a yeah. thing of like I, see I get more. what you're saying. Yeah, I yeah, that's why that's why when yeah that's why when they made that trade, I was just like, oh shit, like Melo's about to feast because <laughs> he doesn't have to yeah. bring the ball up all and the he time did and for stuff. A little while too. Yeah, they made it to the dude. They could have. I wouldn't say they would have won the Western Conference Finals, but Game One specifically and Game Four where Mello messed up the inbounds passes, like yeah. identical plays in both of those games, like towards the end where Lamar Odom messed up the inbound passes. Like yes. that series was a lot closer than people give it credit for. I think the Nuggets could have very – they had – the Lakers were still the bigger team, but the Nuggets had the size to match Gasol and Bynum and Odom, like awesome. at least make them work. Kobe was on his shit that playoffs, though. To be fair, yeah, co- yeah, he was. But the Nuggets could, the Nuggets had a chance in that series. Like that team was good. Yeah, fully, fully, completely agree with you here. Uh, so, all right, we're running a little long. I do want to get some draft stuff in before. So we do have our draft, uh, our draft mm-hmm. uh, order set here. Yep. Uh, so first five picks, I guess we'll look at real quick before we. Uh, can't yeah, wait for the know. Pistons to take Jalen Green number one overall. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had a lot of Laker fans that were asking if Cade Cunningham was available at, Cade, at pick 22. Um, so we have to see where he lands there. <laughs> um, so yeah, our first, our first five picks are obviously Detroit, Houston, uh, Cleveland, Toronto, and Orlando. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I think the interesting thing here is if Evan Mobley falls to Cleveland – I think that's a perfect fit. Yeah. I talked uh, to I, uh I talked to Evan Damarell of Forbes Sports. He covers the Cavaliers and yes. he was um he he was he, I asked him who would he prefer and he was telling me that the he was he was telling me that uh you know Jalen Green would be in consideration but um he would like Ellen Mo- he he would like Evan Mobley personally on the Cavs and I think that makes all the sense in the world. Um, yeah, it's the perfect fit. It's the it's the hole that they need to fill. Yeah, and you know the fit with Jared, like 
the Mobley Jared Allen fit, like I get it, but there's also some there's also just part of me that's like, you know, fit does matter, but if you're a bad team, um fit really shouldn't matter. But maybe fit should matter in the larger context of how you want to build your team. So it's like one a philosophical thing. Do the Cavs Sorry. I mean, they're not going to take fucking Jalen Suggs. Like, they have two guards. They just used two Audi picks, like two guards. But they might trade. Uh, the the trade rumors about Colin Sexton are ramping up, and a lot yeah. of teams will line up for a 22 year old who improves every year. Um, with this contract extension coming up too, that would kind of make him a candidate to be moved. If um, you know, the Cavs wanted to go with Jalen Green. Because I would, I would, I love Colin Sexton. I think he's better than what I thought he would be. I actually have turned into a fan of Colin Sexton, but I would keep Darius Garland if I had to choose between the two. Um, yeah, I still like Garland more. I, yeah. I've never been a Sexton person, but yeah, I think he's better than I expected. But I'm still not a huge fan. I still think Garland Garland's a better fit. I honestly, player. I would love to see Evan Mobley on the Rockets and seeing the what the Rockets can get for Christian Wood. Because I don't know, I just like the combo of KPJ. I kind of like the I kind of like the fit of Wood and Mobley. It's too thin. It's too thin, though. Like it is on the defensive end, especially. Yeah, that's that's where the appeal comes in. Them running the floor together would be so much fun to watch. Yeah. Again, this is me as a fan speaking. Not not this is me as a not Rockets fan just wanting to watch Justin games and watch them run the floor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It it would definitely the offensive versatility would be fun. But I was just thinking like Evan Mobley with Kevin Porter Jr. Like who has who showed a lot of chops as a well. Obviously, he got the opportunity to because I thought he showed flashes as well. Anyone else? I'm a fan. What's up? As long as he's not spitting on anyone else, I'm a fan. Seriously, he's talented. Yeah, he is. He no, like he he showed legit flashes with the Cavaliers before he before you know he he had legal trouble and stuff like that. Um, and they had to sh- and he had to ship him and they had to ship him out. But um, I just it, it's really serendipitous for the Rockets too that they got to keep their pick because uh, it would have been a disaster. Like the Timberwolves not keeping their pick was a was a disaster. Yeah. Um, but uh. I don't know. The first three pick, well, number one just seems set in stone, and I think the Pistons are going to be my Charlotte Hornets next year, um, because uh, I think well, that we talked, we talked two weeks ago about how much we love Detroit's young core. Yeah, so this, this makes them even better. <laughs> yeah, um, I thought Isaiah Stewart showed more offensive evolution towards the end of the season. Sadiq Bay is really good already. The plug and play guy we all thought he would be coming out of Villanova. Killian Hayes was hurt a lot. But he also was kind of bad when he played. But I'm willing to give him a pass because he's also fucking 19 years old. Um, yeah, and I think, also, I, think, I think Cade helps him a ton. Yeah, Cade is going to help out Killian a lot. Because um, I do think there is an element of Killian where he's kind of... I know eventually he'll be able to play at his own pace. Like, you know, the whole... Like, you know, a Dollar Tree version of Luka Doncic where he kind of meanders his way to where he wants to go on the floor and stuff. Because yeah. he is kind of slow. He doesn't have that elite burst. But this is where Cade would help. Because I think Cade is he could fill a he's he could fill a lot of holes offensively. Um he's a good passer. He's a big wing. He can kind of get to his spot too. Even if he isn't the fastest in the world, he's still big. He could get a shot off. And he's also a smart off-ball defender on the other end. I just really like the pairing of a Cade and Killian Hayes backcourt or the theoretical potential 
behind it. And then you have Jeremy Grant, who, you know, showed a lot more scoring chops than I thought he ever would, even on a bad team. Um, and yeah, you have Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart. Like that's a good, that's a good core you find yourself with in a matter of we, two we seasons. Still have, we still have Demboya, who we have no idea what he is yet. We have no idea. Yeah, we have no idea who Demboya is yet. But you know, there's some tantalizing talent there for sure. Um, but yeah, it's going. I, I'm really gonna like this Pistons. I'm gonna really like watching this Pistons team next year, especially. Well, at least watching the players. Um, but I think the Rockets should definitely go with Evan Mobley here. I still need to watch tape on the other prospects. Um, but the Raptors, dude, they really, the Raptors really, uh, they lucked out getting the top four pick because I don't, I don't think you know getting one of Suggs or Jalen Green is a bad consolation prize. No, by I any, think they're going to get Suggs. I think they'll get Suggs. Yeah, they're yeah, that's what it's that's what it's looking like. Um, yeah, if I'm the Warriors, I would. I would also be trying to trade picks to uh it, it's either to me it's either you trade Steph or you trade these picks and try to find somebody to build a contender with Steph cuz Steph is still an MVP player and I don't think young players are going to young lottery picks are going to help the Warriors especially with their draft history and I know it's the later rounds with their draft history where they've missed a lot of players but do you really think a young player is going to cut unless it's like LaMelo Ball with who they should have probably taken last year. Yeah. I don't I don't see any way I don't see how you could have the thought process after watching what Steph did this year where he was damn near the 2015-16 version of Steph and be like let's let's add two young inexperienced players to the roster who will probably get as many min- inconsistent minutes as James Wiseman, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what you would do, but I I would be looking to trade some of these picks. Maybe you could yeah. swing a Bradley Beal deal. Yeah, I I'm expecting Golden State to trade these picks. Although, so well, there is that athletic would. report that they could that the wide expectation is they could package Wiseman and seven and fourteen for a Pascal Siakam. Yeah, that one's been going around all day today. I yeah. like it. I like uh, it too. I don't, know, I don't know if it solves all their problems, but I like it. Well, he's shown he could be the third best player on a championship team. So. Yeah. Again, this it all goes back to my thing of like, does this like does getting Clay back like solve all your problems? Obviously, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So then, what like what holes can you fill, or what can you do to help fill these like your other holes and your other problems? And I don't know if Pascal does all that. I think he helps. I think the Warriors could definitely use a versatile athletic big. I don't think that could hurt, you know, because yeah. um, they were there was there was some obvious lack of pop whenever Warrior or Warriors whenever Curry would go to the bench. Um, it was just it's clear that the Warriors just need some nitrous oxide somewhere else when it, when you know when it comes to not only lineups that you can play but like you know, trying to sustain runs or sustain or hold the fort while Steph is on the bench, you know? And I think uh, Pascal would make some sense. I think that's like the only, not the only option, but I'm, I'm sure there's some other creative ways the Warriors could add somebody. But um, Warriors got to do something, man, because uh, you don't know how many years of this Steph you're going to get. Well, you're probably going to get this version of Steph for a while because uh, he's the greatest shooter ever. Um, but... I don't think lottery picks are going to help out. 
Yeah, they're they're not going to help out right now, especially like again, this draft is deep, but it's not. I don't know if you can pick up things to win now from seven to fourteen. Yeah, how deep is the top um, end talent? Is the question yeah. with so this like draft. so this gets back into, into my the thing the pick that no one. No one's really. Everyone's talking about both Jalen's Mobley and Cade. Are you a Kaminga so, guy? I am a Kaminga guy. <laughs> I figured I, you were gonna go there. I love Jonathan Kaminga. You know why, Jordan? Because he's big you know and he can shoot, and he's a long he's a boy. Big, he's, a, he's a big, long, athletic boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I, I figured. I'm a big, I'm a big Kaminga guy, and I'm liking Scotty Barnes, man. <laughs> I yeah. like both of those guys. I, I'm a little apprehensive with guys like Scotty Barnes because you know he can't shoot. Um, and I'm scared of players who can't shoot. Obviously, you can understand my feelings. No, I understand on this. I mean, it's not like Scotty Barnes' shot is broken, right? Or even no. uh. Or even a Kaminga's, but if you if you can't figure, you can have the elite tools and stuff, and that is all very valuable. But if you cannot hit an open shot in hey, today's man. NBA, it's remember it gets tough. Don't, you, you can't trust me, man. Because remember, I was a, I was a huge I was a huge Michael Kidd Gilchrist guy too. Well, you well then that means you can't trust either of us because I loved I loved Michael Kidd Gilchrist myself <laughs> coming out of Kentucky. <laughs> I was so I was like I love the motor I love the size I love his willingness to play defense like he could play he could play maybe some power forward but damn he cannot shoot <laughs> no so that, that's so funny to so yeah I'm I also like Keon Johnson like I just like these long like athletic wings <laughs> hey I, I I you know you know my vice is long athletic wings myself so uh, that's why I was that's why I was one of the I wouldn't say one of the few people, but nobody watched the fucking 10 win Sixers when Robert Covington first or when Robert Covington was getting minutes on the team. But I was like, huh, I don't know how good he'll be as a defender, but he's big. He's he has long arms and he could shoot. Sign me up. <laughs> and then yeah, he man, took an I... outlier leap as a defender. And I was like, yep, I am a Robert Covington guy. You know, I, I'm a sucker for wings myself. So I get it. So yeah, I'm I'm watching those three. Those are the three wings that I'm watching, mm-hmm. uh, just where they end up because I think where they end up could be really interesting. Because to me, the long athletic wings are the guys that can make impacts early. Yep. Um, like more so than guards and bigs, because I think those take a little more time to integrate and get used to the NBA. Where like if you're long and athletic, like you instantly have a spot and instantly know where you fit in. You play defense and you you drive to the basket or you mm-hmm. you play off ball. Like you know, it's so e- it's it's a lot easier of a transition. I feel like yeah. Um, so yeah, like when you when you talk about those guys going to like contenders, if like one of those guys goes to the Warriors, I don't like. Obviously, I think that Wiggins is still going going to be your starter unless they trade him. But I think that like it gives you, it gives them a lot of depth and it gives them something. It just gives them more bodies that they can throw out there that'll be useful in a playoff series. Right. I could actually so. I know Davion Mitchell is small, but he oh, okay. he defends way bigger than yes. um than he's what a he's thick boy. He, yeah he, <laughs> yes he is definitely bigger for uh, compared relative to a 
six six foot flat person uh he weighs as much as i do actually and i'm and i'm six feet flat although i am not as you can tell i'm not an elite athlete or anything <laughs> you're not uh, a big boy yeah but uh i think davion mitchell would be maybe one pick that makes sense for the warriors just somebody who is you know ready played a lot more you played a lot more years in college and has grown into his body more, but somebody who's a backup ball handler with on-ball and off-ball defense. I became a fan of Davion Mitchell, obviously, as the tournament went along. Um, but um, I just I, I, I just think there's very few players in this lottery range that would help out uh, that would help out the Warriors. And that's the team that I'm most looking forward to watching. Yeah, that the and the Oklahoma they- City Thunder. Yeah, to me, the Warriors are the ones going to set the tone for this entire season. Like, what, what they could either make a huge splash or they could punt another year. Yeah. Well, so we'll see. With Steph, I don't think punting another year is an option, especially because well, he's I mean, 33 if they think now. He's leave, if they think he's going to leave, then they'll just punt the year. Yeah. Hey, Maury, so, you know, pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, man, he's going to sign with the Lakers for the minimum. <laughs> for the minimum. <laughs> It's like we could maybe do the mid-level exception, but we'll take. But we're offering you the minimum. Hey man, I've seen I've seen guys do crazier shit. (laughs) (laughs) If Steph Curry took a a minimum contract at at any point in his career, I think I would pass out from sheer shock. The minute Woj will hit send on a tweet, Lakers agree to contract with Steph Curry as a veteran's minimum. I think I would pass out. Dude, the NBA would shit itself. It'd be over. It'd be worse than that time DeMarcus Cousins signed for the minimum. Oh, my God. Everybody freaked out about that signing, including not – I didn't freak out about it, but I was like, oh, damn. Like, they got DeMarcus Cousins. Even, like, you know, torn ACL, Achilles, DeMarcus Cousins is it, coming off the bench. Is still, like, for the Warriors, that's overkill. But, you know, obviously injuries and all that stuff piled up, and we all know what happened there. But – uh. That would be that would be absurd. Every two yeah. K player's dream: pair LeBron and Steph together and see what happens. With Anthony Davis, you're Anthony Davis should be a third option. There. <laughs> that actually might benefit Anthony Davis. Dude, could you imagine how easy his life would be? Oh my goodness! Yeah, he he won't he wouldn't be asked to be aggressive every game by fans like we all want him to be, and stuff. He could just focus on defense, catching lobs. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm rock hard. We need to stop. Uh, oh, we, de- okay. We definitely need to end the podcast. Then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I think that like, it, is it weird that I'm more excited for this off season than I am for the NBA finals? Um, I don't, I, I, when the Sixers season ended. I was like, okay, I'm I'm looking forward to this off season because I want to see what Maury does. But I still want to see this finals. I want to see Chris Paul get his ring because I think he deserves it at this point. I think he's one of the best players of all time. I know, hot take, surprise. Um, and I just think that ring will just solidify his his it it. I mean, his legacy is already solidified, but just having a ring to put a cherry on top for of a great Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame career, is uh, I, I I would really like that for Chris. And I I am a pseudo Suns fan in a lot of ways, so I I am looking forward still to the finals because I 
I do think the Bucks and Suns, it would provide our <laughs> what feels like our first healthy playoff matchup where both teams are healthy, you know? So Kicks it. Yeah, I know. I just fuck. Damn. I, I take it back. If I could somehow talk in reverse and take it back, <laughs> <laughs> I would. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the I'm still looking forward to the finals before I look ahead to the offseason. But I get your intrigue. Yeah, I think I think for me it's just a thing of I know how these two conferences I'll, I'll probably feel differently once we get to the finals. But I think the conference finals right now are just so like everything's going kind of to script of how I thought it was gonna go. And it's just like, okay, like let's move on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see. And and like all the off season stuff starting to hit and like the basketball the basketball itself is still good. Yeah. But I'm just like I'm starting to hit it's like again, my my favorite person is or like my favorite thing about the NBA is like team building and draft and stuff like that. Yeah. And so like <clears throat> mm-hmm. it's like tickling all my buttons when I when we start to get the draft lottery and like all the prospects. Yeah, it's weird. I've turned into a team building draft guy myself, obviously, when the Sixers, you know, started going through tanking and or the process and stuff like that. that yeah. Like I, I have turned into a team building draft guy myself, although I am very hit and miss <laughs> on what I think whenever teams complete their drafts and stuff um that that part is definitely interesting because it's almost it is in some ways it's kind of like not 2k but there's elements of like the gm simulator type thing like okay what how would i add to this team and all that stuff so i get it but you know we'll see it's exciting either way we should have a really good time damn uh, season's almost over right it's crazy. This feels like just but, uh, one long 2020, honestly. <laughs> we will, we will, this podcast won't end though. We'll have NBA, we'll have uh, Olympic basketball to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have a ton of offseason stuff. So, you know, oh yeah. We'll be, too. we'll be here. We'll be here. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. The BOB. Thank you.